Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Hi folks, welcome back. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. I'm your co-host, Joe Lu, and today I'm joined with Pastor Lydia, who is a co-founder here at 180 Church, pastor of Transformation and wife to Dr. Sammy. And Lately, we've been on a series uh, about how the gospel is saving us from certain dark proclivities in our lives. And um, in the past two weeks, we've gone over the topic of pride and also selective leadership. And one thing that we as a community are seeing is the destructive nature of how these certain proclivities uh, play a role in our lives and also how destructive they can be um, to people around us as well. And one of the things that the gospel really saves us from is this um, propensity to not change, this immunity to change. And so um, these, this conversation regarding these two sermons explores how and in what, in what ways can we combat um, pride and selective leadership so that we can further our discipleship, um, develop strategies for our spiritual growth, and really um, place precedence and leadership in the hands of the Father. And so, without further ado, here's Dr. Sammy. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. So, last week I said that I want to make my messages from now to the, to the time we meet again a bit more biographical, a biopic about my life, uh, because I know there are a lot of new members and students and people tuning in from different parts of the country and the world that I want us to get to know each other a bit better. And, and I know that... Uh, throughout the pandemic, um, I focused a lot on mission because it's sort of my heart. But I, I do want to focus on some of the lighthearted stuff, even though the text sometimes can be pretty heavy. Uh, one of the things you should know about me is I'm an avid dog lover. Uh, my Here's my dog. Here's a picture. Her name is Brownie. Her middle name is Peanut Butter. She looks like a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup because of her colors. She's a beagle, rot mix. And she's been in our family now, again, for 15 years or so. She's really annoying, but really cute, too. <laughs> and um, she has a wonderful disposition about her. She's People in our community and our neighborhood know her by name and love her because she's so loyal, calm, and kind. Um, and not tenacious at all, and which upset me a bit because she's a bit... She's supposed to be part rot, but she's just really all wimp, if you met her. But she's really sweet. And a lot of times as we walk her in the neighborhood, you know, new neighbors, then move into the area, we'd see her, you know, for a few weeks and come up to us and be like, man, you won the lottery with this dog. And and don't get me wrong, she's really sweet. And, And here's my reply every time. Trust me, she didn't come this way. Because the truth is, she did it. There's this assumption, inherent assumption sometimes, that certain dogs are born perfect or angels. They are not. 
or certain people are just good people and certain people are bad people. No, people are all broken and flawed. Everybody is normal until you get to know them. Trust me. No, dogs are not born that way. I tell them what they were not born that they are made. I remember when Brownie was a puppy and we had to crate train her and she had to learn to pee outside, you know, in, not in her crate. She peed on the sofa. It was brand new leather. Brownie almost didn't make it past six months. You know what I mean? All joking aside, in a similar way, disciples are made too. In 20 years of ministry, I've never seen a disciple made by mistake. And what does that tell you about the nature of discipleship and holistic spirituality? The psychology of change we've been exploring the last few weeks is a struggle of wills, volition, cooperation, and submission. Because Brownie was a terrible puppy. She had to be what? Trained to learn how to be what? Good and obey and faithful and obedient. She had to be taught those things. And my youngest still doesn't eat vegetables. He's very selective with his food. My youngest son refuses at times. And so left to his own devices, he'll have a terrible diet. And it will have what? Detrimental effect on his life, right? That's why there's parents. Because when we're left to our own devices, we make mess of things. And more seriously, ruin our lives in an end in despair. Because not all good things innately taste good. Sometimes good things are counterintuitive to our taste and our preferences, right? We have to learn to work out. We have to learn nutrition. These things are what? Taught and passed down. The same goes for discipleship. So if you don't have an intentional strategy for your spiritual growth, then guess what? You're planning to fail. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And in the church, that's usually what happens. Leaders and personalities can't form Christ in you. We can help from a distance. One hour on Sunday is not going to do it. In the end of the day, if you are a believer, you are following Christ. Jesus never said, believe me. He said, follow me. This is what Dr. Mulholland says in his book, Invitational Journey, about the invitation to spiritual formation. We fail to realize that the process of spiritual shaping is a primal reality of human existence. Everyone is in process of spiritual formation. Every thought we hold, every decision we make, every action we take, every emotion we allow to shape our behavior, little by little, are shaping us into some kind of being. We are being shaped into either the wholeness of the image of Christ or horribly destructive caricature of the image destructive not only to ourselves, but also others. For we inflict our brokenness upon them. Last week, we explored Paul's transformative journey of coming to Christ and being radically transformed by the power of the gospel. We mapped out three dark proclivities, tendencies that the human heart needs to be safe from. 
Last week was spiritual blindness, our blind spots. This week, we're talking about the critical layer of selective discipleship. Hi guys, today's scripture is from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 3 to 19. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named, An named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So in the beginning, we asked a question, how does the gospel save us from this insidious desire for unchecked autonomy that always leads to lopsided spirituality? The first lesson we learn is that Jesus takes complete leadership. Now, this is the confusing part and the, the ambiguous part of most Christians' life that struggle with formation. If you're the one leading, nothing is going to get done. Because the whole point of being a Christian means to be a Christ follower, right? A Christ follower means to follow Jesus. He has to be in leadership. So look, check this out. In the very nature of salvation in Paul's story, the beaming light, the blinding light that blinds Paul, he falls off his horse, and Paul says, who are you? And he uses the word Lord. So lordship. Who is ruler of all things? Saul asked, and Jesus replies, I am Jesus, verse 5, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And check this out. Pay close attention. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. There's a transfer of power. And we are seeing currently, at the current moment, the transfer of power is difficult in any nation. And we're experiencing the same thing. And that's sort of been the American dream that from Washington who could have been appointed king, gave away his power. So we know 
what surrendering power looks like for the common good. The social contract is based on that, that we give up our rights to protect all rights. But you see the transfer of power here. And I think for a lot of believers who, who've been to church for a long time, you could be, or you could be a new believer, this is not really well defined. It's usually caught, but not taught. And that's why there is such value in reading the whole counts of scripture, because you don't miss these things. The Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian of all time, most likely, anecdotally, that's what we sort of know from the New Testament, he wrote half of it, and basically Christianized most of Asia Minor. But you see how his leadership, there's a transfer of power, clear who is number one and who is number two, who the leader is and the follower is. That is unclear in many Christians' lives sometimes. And that's why you become selective in what you do and what you won't do. You don't need to listen to me. You go, Doc, I'm not going to do that. Well, and a lot of people think if the leader had a better personality or, or more followers on Twitter or more influential or more charismatic, they'll listen. But all that stuff will come tumbling down if you don't obey and have a clear, explicit clarity on who is leading who. And that's God. People often blame and have excuses, but they're really rejecting the leadership and the lordship of Jesus. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story about someone has to call the shots. Our creative director, Henry Kim, Let's, everyone, right now, while you're watching this on YouTube, wherever, give him a hand. He's been such an amazing asset to 180, uh, making these sermons somewhat watchable <laughs> in all the creative endeavors that he was on. I mean, amazing, right? Henry's sort of a workaholic. <laughs> you probably know that. And um, one time his wife said, Henry, I want to go on a vacation. And then Henry planted to, uh, pointed to his calendar and showed her. This is all the things that he has to get done. And he said, so, so Michelle said, so when can we go? He goes, maybe about in two years. And Michelle's like, what? Henry is such a workaholic. I had to tell him one day in a meeting, I said, Henry, you are no longer allowed to work on Fridays. And then he, he, had, he put his hand out to me and said, Doc, I can't. I got too much to do. I got access. I got this. I, got, I can't take a break right now. I'll take a private break maybe like, you know, in three months or so. I said, Henry, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. What do you mean? I'm your boss. I'm telling you. <laughs> you can no longer work on Fridays. You have to take a break. Oh, and he was forced to take a break. Sometimes for the sake of clarity and brevity, and even levity, if there's no clear, really explicit who is leading, who has leadership, everything is a disaster. So, in a sense, this desire, this insidious desire for a check autonomy is in all of us because we want to be selective. We don't want to do some of the things we don't want to do. I'll do that. I won't do this. I'll tithe. I won't do this and I won't forgive. Or I'll forgive, but I won't tithe. 
or I'll give and I won't do mission. So there's all this selectivity. And then, then you are believing in a religion. You're not following Jesus. Because salvation is about surrendering leadership and a transfer of power. That's what happened in Paul's life. And the only way to this proclivity for unchecked autonomy, this selectivity, because people could talk about accountability, small groups, all you want, but if you have not surrendered your leadership to Jesus and he is your Lord, you'll lie, you'll live in ambiguity. I've seen it for 20 years. People do it. And you'll become the hero of your own journey. And it'll lead to lopsided, dark side of spirituality. And you'll feed, and you won't see it like spiritual blindness last week, but it will subtly and then suddenly catch up and hurt other people. So, is it clear in your life? Let me ask that question. I pray the Spirit will show you. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you surrendered completely? Or has your insidious desire, you might not even verbalize it, but your insidious desire for unchecked autonomy really makes you king. And you use Jesus and religion as a utility. Because that's really what it's coming down to here. But Paul, no. Jesus tells him, very clear, the power dynamic is very clear. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In verse 5, you replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Is Jesus telling you what you must do? Will you obey? Because that will determine who's king, who's lord, and who's the leader. And I pray the Spirit will show you where you might be there with that. So in the beginning, we asked a question, how does the gospel save us from this insidious proclivity toward unchecked autonomy, this desire for unchecked autonomy and preferences, right? That leads to this lopsided form of spirituality. We learn, secondly, that God gives us the gift and the curse of community. <laughs> community is both the gift and a curse, depending on how well we deal with real accountability. Right? You saw that in God's family and the dynamic of power in this passage in Paul's The Nature of Salvation in the text is that Saul was blinded physically, right? And he was told to go wait because he couldn't see. He was physically disabled. He could not see. His vision was blinded. And God calls, what? Ananias to go to him. Right there, we see the gift of community, right? When you come into the body of Christ, when you become a Christian, you're joining the kingdom, the family of God. There's no, no such thing in the writers of the New Testament as solo spirituality. You cannot, it's not just you and God. Because God involves many. So it takes a village to make a disciple. And so Paul was helpless without the other. 
and was what? Also in need of the other. He was not only vulnerable, he was in great need. There was no way he could get his next assignment or healing or redemption apart from Ananias. That's why if you're proud and you want unchecked autonomy, you want no one to mind, you want people to mind their own business, and you want things to be off limits, and of course there's healthy boundaries and there's healthy ways of doing this, but when you become a Christian, there's no single solo spiritual formation, right? We become like Jesus for the sake of others in the world. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why I think it was so funny. Right, my oldest son, Nathan, he's a very gifted kid. He was a golden child when he was born. He was tested. His IQ is in the top 2%. He's musically gifted. He's, he has a, you know, rising musical career now at 13. And everybody loved him. He's a good-looking kid, and, and he was complimented everywhere, you know, we would go. Um, on the street or on social media. He was always beloved, you know, like he could, there's nothing he can accomplish. And I remember my brother's kids, his cousins, uh, one year came to, came to visit the U.S. We went to, you know, Disney, Disney World and Nathan was used to getting, you know, special treatment and being loved on by members of the community at school. But, you know, he was crying about something and his cousins, both of them, they're, they're a bit older, told him to shut the, you know, up. <laughs> Nathan was stunned. How? And, and, and actually, my, my wife and I were stunned too because we didn't see this dynamic before. You see, no matter how great Nathan was to my brother's family and to his cousins, they were just his cousins. Just a kid. And what, a, what, what an amazing picture of a safeguard, a family that sees you for you. And if you're out of, you're, you're spoiled or you're crying, there's no special treatment. That is a gift and a curse, depending on how we feel about being treated like everybody else no special treatment and I thought that was great for him for my son because he was being what formed lopsidedly that he was gonna get special treatment everywhere but if that happens what happens the person becomes delusional about who they are and they, they, they live in fantasy and not grounded so the question I have for you today is this is community a perfunctory thing for us, or is it really something that we embrace? The guardrails that God has placed in our life, because that's what God has done for Paul. God placed those guardrails so that he would not become so zealous again and go off and hurt himself and the world. No, he was trained and discipled. It took time. So let me ask you a question today. Is the community a curse or a blessing in your life? Because this insidious desire for unchecked autonomy, that's how it, one or the other will feel that it's a, it's a blessing 
if we want that to be checked, or it will be a curse if we don't. And the thing is, we can lie to each other, and we could push people away, and we could say there's limits, or we can welcome it to be formed in the image of Christ. I think that's so critical in Paul's journey. This proclivity was checked. And Paul became the greatest, perhaps, Christian witness of all time because he was formed into the image of Jesus. He had accountability. It checked his dark sides and formed him in a balanced way. And it changed the world. So today, Will you lift your hands with me as we pray and make this your prayer and ask God to form you. And wherever you might be today, I want to pray this prayer again. I prayed last week to be our cry. So lift your hands and listen and pray with your heart. Gracious and loving God, do you know the deep inner patterns of my life that keep me from being totally yours? You know the misinformed structures of my being that hold me in bondage to something less than your high purpose for my life. You also know my reluctance to let you have your way in these areas. Hear the deeper cry of my heart for wholeness. And by your grace, enable me to open, to be open to your transforming presence in this moment. Lord, have mercy. Let's make this song our prayer and allow the Lord to work. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us again this week, Pastor Lydia, for a conversation about, um, I think, two sermons this week where we're talking about pride and selective discipleship. And uh, I'm excited to have this conversation mostly because I think when I was looking at these two sermons and how they applied to my life, I saw a lot of parallels and a lot of similar themes uh, between them regarding how I think for one thing, there is an element of how much self-awareness we truly lack when we're really trying to assess uh, our own discipleship and our own direction with our faith. Um, mm-hmm. And secondly, I think Dr. Sammy made a point that there is a real immunity to change, as in there are certain things that are very hard for us to change about ourselves, but ultimately it's through the gospel that we see real um, substantial change in our lives. And these, there's evidence of that. Um, I think in our community, in the discipleship process by which uh, I think you and I observe in people's lives. Um, and so when I was thinking about this sermon about selective leadership and uh, pride as well, I think one of the things that I was thinking was just how in my life, when I think about, whether Jesus is Lord, I, I think I think there's this idea or this belief that um, that Jesus is the leader of my life. But when I look at some of my actions and some of my tendencies, I do recognize that you know there is a certain level of um, pride or ego or a resistance to some of the things that God um, has called me towards, or you know I feel like. Maybe I have a proclivity towards certain other temptations or other things that are leading my life. Um, and I, I just kind of recognize this contradiction. And so I kind of wanted to talk about um, these sermons in sort of that respect for, for some believers mm-hmm. that 
you know, we, we make the claim and we say that with our lives, we've, we are followers of Christ. But, you know, I think there are certain things that we find to be inconsistent with our faith um, when it comes to our beliefs and our convictions and our actions regarding them, right? So um, I guess I kind of want to open the conversation regarding that. And, you know, like as a, as a pastor, right? Um, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I would, I think you probably have seen some of these reoccurring things in the people that you, you disciple over time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there, I mean, even in my own life, right? Before really following Christ, after, you know, when I actually transferred power to Christ and said, Lord, lead my life, you know, and prior to that, even though I grew up in a Christian home, grew up under, you know, parents who did ministry, I was pretty much doing religion. You know, it's kind of like mm. what Sam talked about. And I, how that looked like was, well, I would say I love God so much and I wanted to glorify him, but I had all these things that I wanted him to do for me. And when I would pray and he didn't do those things for me, right? I would literally get upset and really feel like, is God even there for me? Does he even love me? Like, you know, those are the things that you, I wouldn't really say out loud, but I really felt that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was only when I surrendered to Christ's control over my life, to be led by his wisdom, his plans, is when I realized that it's very different um, to say that you're following, to say that you're following Christ and to want your life the way you want it versus the um, the life that Christ has in store for you according to his plans and his mission. And um, yeah, and as a pastor, I see that a lot, you know, I, I think I get to see a wide variety of that because people are on process, right? Mm. Some people are in process of um, surrendering or becoming um, more like Christ. And then there are those who just um, stand in the place of resistance and don't want to cross over. They want to kind of, I guess, look at everything and see how it would affect them, but never actually make the step into following Christ. Um, and I think it, you know, it varies. I, I think it works in all different degrees and everyone is at a different place. But um, I think the message was, I, I actually really loved the way Sam started. You know, he said that disciples are not, uh, they don't come that way. You know, when he talked about our sweet dog, Brownie, mm-hmm, when yeah. people compliment Brownie and say, wow, your dog is so sweet. Oh my gosh, you hit the jackpot. Like people say those things about our dog at the park, but we know that Sam really trained her, you know, like she mm-hmm. was, she was disciplined. She was trained and that's how she became the good dog that she is. And in the same way, disciples are not just made. It's not like, Oh, some people have great character and personality. So I guess, you know, they're better disciples than others are meant to be. No, actually that's false. Every, every disciple is made through a process of God, its intervention, his leadership of community of himself over a period of a long time. So, um, yeah, I love that. And so it kind of puts all of us 
you know, in the same place, same beginning, you know, step that there is a beginning of surrender and it's a process of becoming like Christ, you know, over time. So, yeah, I love that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, from firsthand experience, I, I have seen how well-trained Brownie is. And I think that's like sort <laughs> of, I thought that was like a really good example because, you know, I think, um, I think for the believer, right? Or when I think about this for myself, it's sort of like once, once you have established that Christ is Lord in your life, you almost want to treat it like sort of as like a one and done kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? If, if for mm -hmm. lack of a better term, like, oh, I gave my life to Christ. I'm a Christian now. Um, I guess that's it, right? But then, you know, I think mm -hmm. just kind of hopping on that train of thought regarding training, there's, there's more to it. There's a, there's a, more layers of depth to the discipleship process than just making the claim that you're a believer. Right. And that comes in conflict with, uh, with like more specific areas regarding um, our, our call to obedience for the Lord. Right. Mm -hmm. Because Christ had asked for everything of us. Um, and I was wondering, like, you know, cause I, I see in my life that there are certain proclivities that I have uh, that tempt me away from, you know, a full surrender to God, you know, I think for one thing, and I've talked about this in this podcast before is that, um, you know, like, I, I do like to drink alcohol, right, you know, and there have been several times that I've drank way too much. And so I do think there's like this propensity to uh, drunkenness for me. But you know, I think um, over time, and during the summer, there's a strong conviction to um, do what I can to give that up. You know, albeit how hard it can be at sometimes. Um, but you know, I, I see like there are these kinds of things that sort of resist, um, you know, a, a complete surrender in this area in my life, you know, and, uh, I was wondering like, it, it, like, how do you, how do we as believers sort of reconcile those things? Because I think there is the thought that like, you know, as Christians, we have grace and we can slip up and make these mistakes. But, you know, discipleship is a process of becoming more like Christ, renewed in our mind and our hearts to be like Christ also, right? Um, so I was, mm -hmm. I was wondering if you might also have any thoughts regarding that and how we can continue to grow as disciples um, in that way. Yeah, I think, you know, the question about... Um, there's grace for, I guess, the mistakes and how does it all reconcile? Like, but there's also truth. And, you know, I, you know, Sam and I talk about this a lot, but, you know, um, great. I think a lot of people think about grace and forget about truth. And I think that people, and then when people talk about truth, they're like, well, you know, there's grace. But I think in order to be a disciple and to make disciples, I realize more and more um, that grace is already um, available. Like the mm. grace of Christ and the grace of community, the grace of disciplines, the grace and the love of community. It's already, I mean, if it was absent, I guess that's a whole different thing. But I think, I mean, like in your case, for example, like grace is all around you. But I think what you needed when let's say you falter and you drink more than you um, said you would, or, you mm -hmm. know, is really truth. There's grace to say, Oh, okay, Joe, you know, let's do better next time. But 
the truth of asking the hard questions. Why does that happen? You know, or you know, getting to the bottom of it, like what makes you do what you say you don't want to do, and clearly, clearly, you do. You're tempted, but you don't want to do. As an example,、mm-hmm. right? So、yes. I think that a lot of times we talk about grace and reconciling our mistake,、um, you know, and how to, I guess, move on from it. I think grace is already apparent. It seems to me. I think it's really truth that people lack, and that's why people don't know what to do and、mm. where to go from the mistake, you know, or from the faltering of, I guess, goals and. You know strategies to follow Christ. So I think truth is really what's lacking.、Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I think, like, I think at the end of the day, it's the hard truths that are sort of the most difficult to receive, right? Because、um, at the end of the day, I think that's sort of what goes in line with、uh, what Doctor Sammy was preaching about, as far as、uh, pride goes, right? I think. There's a certain element of not being able to see certain destruct,、uh, destructive patterns that might be harming us and in, inadvertently harming others as well, based off our actions and sort of our blindness to these things. But it, it does require truth,、um, whether it's like an intervention by God or、uh, intervention by community. There is there is an intervening of truth that sort of. Allows us, right, or helps us to see,、um, I guess, the error of our ways, for lack of a better term, also, or just our sin, right, just just our apparent sin in our lives. Yeah, I mean, Jesus says, "When you know the truth, the truth will set you free." So I think that、um, there is a responsibility to also, with grace, express truth. In order to make disciples, you、mm. know, and or and for people to become disciples, I think most of the time people that are hungry to become disciples without training of teaching or truth,、um, they'll be lost. We'll we would be lost without knowing what to do, right? So、mm. yeah, I see, I see. But the, but as far as、uh, I think,、um, one of the things that definitely comes in mind with truth. Is also you know the concept of discipline, right? Because I think with discipline, it's it's sort of that there is an agreement, I think, between two parties, whether it's like、uh, you as a pastor and me as a, a community member, or whether it's like God as leader and me as a follower. It's like there is an agreement that there is a certain level of or a certain truth that you are abiding to, right? And、um, discipline sort of、uh, brings us. Towards that direction, or like helps us stay、uh, on the path of that direction. But you know, I think one of the things that we were also、uh, talking about briefly was that you know, discipline is discipline is difficult,、um, and you know, and it's it's sort of like this painful process by which we are being formed,、um, right? But um, and I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that you know, I think obedience or obeying God is sort of like this this hiccup that. Um, a lot of believers and seekers, I think, also come across because I think for the seeker, it's sort of the crux or that、uh, crossroads of whether you would accept or、uh, deny Jesus in your life, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, but for the believer, it's sort of like 
that daily intention and discipline to choose God over our proclivities, right? Yeah, I think it's it uh, a lot of times for the believer, it's like, Jesus, you understand, right? You know why I do this, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a vow to stay in weakness or to stay in a comfortable place of preference um, and to not be transformed, you know? And I think that's kind of why the word used was lopsided. Over time, when you mm. continue to do that, it gets lopsided. Mm. And it's sort of like this pseudo, well, I don't know about pseudo, but there, it is a, it is like trying to get away with things to a degree. Would you, would you say that also? Cause that's the sort of the way that I've seen it in my life. It's, it's like, I know that on a, or I, I say that on a macro level that I'm trying to follow Christ with my life, but I, I know that in my heart, there are like certain things that I try to get away with. And, I think one of the things that really struck a chord with me with what Dr. Sammy was preaching was that, you know, when we live in this sort of tension and this, um, in this, uh, I guess, um, not clearly defined leadership dynamic, um, there Mm -hmm. is a lot of ambiguity and there is a lot of lying, um, you know, and this, this journey isn't really about Christ anymore at a certain point. It is about just like, what's what religion or Christianity could do for you and the direction you want to take it. Right. Which is like sort of the downfall of that um, selective discipleship process. Yeah. You know, I guess I have a picture that I could share um, to maybe kind of help people understand it or maybe kind of, I guess, resound with it is the fact like, a lot of times people say, you know, I want to grow. I want to live a full life that Christ intended for me. And there's a lot of wants, right? Um, with Christ's name in it. And then let's say Christ says, okay, well, let's deal with this part of you. You know, let's, let's work on these areas. Let me kind of sort out the things that are clutter and, um, let's live with the things that are, vital and get rid of the things that distract you from me right and um the person's like okay but i like and and the person's like all right that sounds great you know i love that i love change i love self-help and so let's do it and then they start looking into it they're like well i kind of like this i kind of like that Mm. Uh, actually jesus i want to keep it all (laughs) Mm. you know i think there's that it's like do i really have to get rid of all these things you know um, you got, you understand Jesus. Like I need these things. Like these things have kept me going, you know? Mm. So I think there's that, right? Like mm. it's kind of like uncluttering a room and so that you could actually live with the things that you need in clarity and in peace, you know, as interior decor- decorators will all say, but it, at the end of the day, because your attachments to the things that are supposedly there that are, cl- that are, that's clutter, brings some sort of a comfort to you and the attachment is so strong that you can't seem to make space and i think a lot of christians are kind of in that place where they are stuck they Mm. say they want things in christ but actually they really can't deal with it and actually it shows that they don't really want it right yeah or um 
I mean, for, I guess, to generalize, right? And then there's the other, um, I guess the other picture that I um, kind of get when, you know, when we're talking about this is, you know, when we take out recycling, right? Mm. Um, it's kind of like you take out recycling and you have to, I don't know how it is in every state, but in New York, you kind of have to sort things out. And sometimes in the suburbs, especially the recycling person, um, when they come to collect, they will see what you have. And if something is in the wrong place and it's not a recyclable per se, they will bring it back to your house and say, give you a ticket or give you a summons or some kind of a warning to mm. say, can you sort it out correctly? But I think a lot of times, um, it's kind of like that. You say you want to get rid of all these things. So, but then you kind of like cut some slack, you know, and you realize like some thing made of wood of some sort got thrown into the plastic, but you're like, ah, eh, it's all right. You know, I, I don't need to worry about that. It's probably all covered in there anyway. I did 90%. So, you know, that, that one thing won't matter. But then the recycling guy keeps coming back and brings it back to you, you know? Mm. And then I think a lot of times we as believers, Christ is asking um, and leading certain parts of our lives, but because we're always like, well, you know, it's not that important what he's saying. And um, I think there's a sense where it needs to be redone over and over. And even though the effort might, you might say you're putting in an effort, but in the end, there's a lack of, um, I guess, I wouldn't say lack of care, but lack of, uh, what's the word? Um, I don't know. What's the word that I'm looking for, Joe? <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking follow through, but. Um... Yes, follow, follow through is a great word. Yeah, there's a lack of follow through. Because I think a lot of times Christians tend to take more pride in the the fact that they're doing an act than why they're doing the act mm. and why it's necessary. And I think that a lot of times the gesture gets more praise than the follow through, right? Mm. And it, it needs to be redone, redone. And I think when that piles up, what happens is you never actually over, overcome certain parts of you. And I think that's the other thing that selectivity also ends up, um, kind of making us lopsided if not you know put into check and somehow you know filtered through accountability to mm. actually put in the work so i think there are various you know reasons and excuses uh to want things in the name of christ but not actually wanting it at the end of the day and i think that's what sam is talking about that there's an aspect where we can't see you know, that sin is hard to see, but also we have to remember that it's sin is something we don't want to see. Change is not something we really want. It's something we really have to um, really surrender and work on, you mm. know, and be worked on. So mm. it's tricky. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely is tricky just from, uh, I guess, like my experience with it. And just when I think about it also, because it's like, I think there's a lot of value to what you're saying as far as there's a idea that we commend ourselves based off our actions more so than really bearing down and thinking about why we do what we do. Um, mm -hmm. And I want to focus on that a little bit just because uh, I guess 
one of the pitfalls I fall into, or I think that I fall into is that sometimes I think I know why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But then it's like, but then my actions tell me otherwise, or maybe I see that as much as I say or make the claim that this is why I do what I do, something that I do, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, that is contradictory to that happens. And then it, it, it sort of like, it throws me off if that um, makes any sense. Um, and I think that's just sort of like a feeling I get. It, it, it throws me off because I think there was like this idea of who, who I thought I was and like being confronted with who I really am. Um, uh-huh. and I guess I was trying to make this parallel to like, you know, not, we don't always want to see our sin or like, we don't always, we're yeah. not always like really aware of that. And I was, I wanted to ask like, you know, because I think self-awareness was like a critical, a critical component of this sermon, which I think is something that I, I have been trying to also incorporate in my life, um, via community and my leaders and God. Um, but you know how i guess where do we even begin to sort of cultivate that self-awareness and to begin to really decipher why we do what we do you know because i i have this strong sense a really scary sense that you know at the end of the day we could be doing all these things but really fooling ourselves at the end of the day of mm. of of you know what what what's really going on you know what i mean Hmm. Well, I think that um, if what you're saying is that, you know, you think you know why you do what you do, and then you realize that actually all along you were fooling yourself, and that's why you're thrown off mm-hmm, yeah. by why, why what you thought you did because you thought you were in control of that, you realize actually you're fooling yourself. I think what you're saying is... um. Well, I guess like an example would be like this. You know, there are people who are generous. You know, Sam gave illustrations like um, people will say, well, I'll tithe, but I'm not going to do mission or I'm not going to forgive. Fine, I'll forgive, but I'm not going to tithe. I won't do that. I'll do this, but I won't do that. Mm. And one is good, but I won't do the other thing. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think that a lot of times, I think it's a good point that he makes. And I think that's what you're saying. Um, if I could give kind of like a wide example, you know, wide, I guess like varied examples, you know, someone could seem very generous and say, Oh, let me get that for you. Let me buy you dinner in the community. Right. Or, Hey, let me send you that for you. Oh, let me pay for that. And they could seem awfully generous, right? Mm-hmm. And they may be, I mean, just like an example, but I've seen a lot of these actually, these type of people in the church. And um, I've seen them be transformed, surrender, and give their lives over to Christ. And I've seen them actually kind of stick to their own ways and, you know, not, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that's why there's always, um, you know, there's two roads. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, Jesus talks about the narrow way and narrow way is narrow because it's, it's hard to do, you know, but yes, one could seem very generous, but when I guess you, not you or I, but like when confronted with making Christ the Lord of your finances per se, like with the issue of tithing, it's like a no, no, I don't think so. Right. Mm. 
So there is that. I want to control how I am generous, but I don't want to give my finances over to Christ, even as a symbol of 10%, beginning with 10% to give to him, you know, from the, the, the amount that I make. That's a big struggle for people. And I think a lot of people say no to that and they'd rather be generous on their, in their own right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think that's an example of that. It's like, oh, I know why I do what I do because I want to have a generous spirit. And when confronted about or in, when God intervened and say, make me your, you know, financial provider, trust me with that. There's like a no, no. So I think another example would be, you know, I'm a very kind person. Someone would say, see, I am very hospitable. I am all this, you know, I am doing the best that I could to serve others and help others. But when God brings in the, I guess, the friction or the conviction of forgiving um, someone that has harmed them, right? Um, they're like, no, I don't think so. Why would you ask me to do that? I'm a, uh, why, why would you ask me to forgive someone that harmed me? Mm. Well, because Jesus forgave us and the father says that he won't forgive those um, who, won't, who won't forgive others, right? Well, I, that's not something I want to do. But you said that you want to live, a, you know, you want to be kind and you want to love others and be hospitable and you want to follow Christ. Well, not in that area. So I think a lot of times we could lie to ourselves and say we do what we do and we understand why we do what we do. And then there's really the question, like Jesus asked Paul, like Paul thought in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, that he was doing a great job mm-hmm. until Jesus literally shows him that he's blind and that um literally blinds him. And then the question that Jesus asked him in his blindness is, Paul, why do you persecute me? It's the question is, okay, you thought you knew why you do what you do. Well, let me, let me really ask you, why do you persecute me? Mm. And I think there is all sorts of gesture of really religiosity, you know, doing religion and seeming like the checkoffs, but it's, I think it's deeper than that. Like, it's like the comfort of knowing that you have Christ in your life, but you're not actually following Christ. So I think Christ is really trying to make disciples of people, all, all people that have all sorts of tendencies to follow him, you know? Hmm. I don't know. It's, um, I don't know if that makes sense, but those are kind of the examples that um, I thought of. Hmm. Is that is that kind of what you were saying? About- yeah. Yeah, because I think there's like, because um, I think there's like this idea of what what a Christian is, right? Like, mm. yeah, I am a Christian because I do these things, or like I am a Christian because of you know X, Y, and Z reasons. But you know, I think there's like plenty of times in my life that have been challenged to um, see otherwise, right? Like, see the incongruencies and the inconsistencies of my saying that I'm a Christ follower and actually following Christ to the fullest that I can, you know? And I, I think that's like, that's like a, it's like a, it's a really scary trap for when I think about it. Cause you know, I, I want to believe, right? Like I want to think that I'm living my life for God or I'm living my life for Christ. But then like when you're, when you're confronted with the truth that like, Hey, 
you know, <laughs> like this ain't it, or like you know, you know, you're yeah. on the you're on the wrong direction. It's it's sort of like, um, in my experience so far, it's it's always been like devastating because it's like oh, <laughs> you know, like oh yeah. man, you know where did what happened? You know where where did where did this happen? You know, so I guess I would kind of want to. I, I I'm I'm happy that we are touching on this um aspect because I think there's like mm-hmm. so pro- probably many people that can relate to the idea that it's like oh oh so this is not what God is calling yeah. me toward you know and that's like I think a really it's like a very daunting thing to be um exposed to right um and so like I guess like I, and I think that's so important because you know as a as a believer even when i am sort of confronted with that reality i think my heart wants to wants to still follow god correctly or i don't know if correctly is the right word or like fully you know mm-hmm. um and i guess that kind of leads me to the next question is sort of when when we are confronted with that reality that maybe this was you know maybe this was not the direction that god is calling me or who he's calling me to be um how how do we how do we sort of go undergo the transfer of power that you know i think you and dr sammy are touching on because it's sort of when we are confronted with this we have a decision to make right we we have the decision to you know i don't know ignore it or um Mm -hmm choose to reject it or you know repent and and you know do what we are called to do uh i guess that's like very vague in general but you know like, I, that it's like very specific to individuals i think so it's like i guess like how do we make that transition of power to to make god and christ our leader again you know yeah i mean i think that's kind of the whole point of this message, right? That it's not a one-shot answer. Um, it begins with transferring power. But the transfer of power um, is really about allowing God to resist your ways. You're really asking God to say, God, um, can you lead my life? Like, in other words, there's a song lyric that says... Um, something along the lines like help me follow you when I know that I when I think that I can't right and there's an aspect of asking the Lord please help me and lead me in my unawareness Mm. help me in my resistance so it's kind of like asking for friction so that I don't go the way that I want to go because I've vowed that you are my Lord that you are the one who's leading my life and um so yes it begins with that and also it's kind of with like you said before it comes with conflict you know it's not just smooth sailing because you say that that everything is going to be smooth like oh when i made when i wanted to make a right turn in life christ will come and help me make a left turn um it's not like that it's not very uh <laughs> one dimensional but it comes with a community it comes with intervention it comes over time it also comes with community getting to know you over time um and seeing patterns and helping um 
you know, us see where things are lopsided. It's hard to see at first. People are all put together at first. Even Christ followers, uh, they could seem all put together or they could seem so broken that they understand the grace of being led by Christ. But actually, over time, you can see if someone is actually a follower of Christ or not. So I think it's over time and it's not a one shot answer, but it's really asking for the friction saying, God, um, when I want to move this way, like send me a Hulk, <laughs> like send me a Hulk that resists me so that I will follow you because my will and my resistance is that strong. My, my proclivity and my temptation is that strong. So send me, it's kind of like the, you know, like, um, you know, the definition of friction I've been studying with Josh for science for oh. third grade is when an object comes against another object to kind of slow things down or to stop it. Right. Mm. And the only way for it to stop is if a force that's bigger than you, then the object, um, comes against you. So you're really asking God, come have, come and stop me, lead me away from the things that I want to take, you know, do in my own will, in my own plans away from you. Mm. Lead me back. I think that's also the light that Paul witnessed, right? It's a light that literally interrupted him, disrupted his life and stopped him from seeing and he literally needed the help of Ananias. So it's not a one-shot answer, but it is asking for that friction. It's like really, I think for me, like what I've been putting is like, God, I, I'm, I'm asking for the constant friction in my life so that I know when I'm not going the path that you want me to go. Or if there is something that you're asking me of me that I cannot see because of fear or of my own resistance or because of my own comfort or because of my fear of conflict, Lord, please make that clear so that I don't miss it. And there is a trust, um, worthiness of God that shows up in those, in the sincerity of a believer's heart. You know, he shows up in grace and in truth to help us see the things we say we want. Uh, actually, we say we don't want to see, but we are asking the Lord to show us, you know, hmm. to lead us. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's like two things that, that reminds me of is like first, I think I like the... I had the um, story about Jesus in the garden praying before his crucifixion mm -hmm. as sort of like sort of indicative about like how much he relied on God in his, in his like greatest hour of weakness mm -hmm. um, to like help him follow through with his plans and, and his um, like fulfilling God's plans for his kingdom, you know? Um mm -hmm. And it, I think like that also reminds me of all those experiences that I've had where I think I, I was confronted with very similar, not, not similar to Jesus, but, you know, similar to what you were saying about, you know, um, praying to God or like having prayers to God about, you know, like correct the error in my ways or like, to, you know, guide my steps. Um, and I'm reminded of, you know, I think. I wish I came prepared to remember this, but, you know, the book, The Vision. <laughs> Um, uh, I forgot the author Rick Joyner. I think. Uh -huh. 
there's like uh-huh. a there's like a prayer in that um i'm butchering this completely because i don't really remember it thoroughly but I, I remember it being like searching about the heart and um being confronted and correcting um that prayer right so that i may serve you perfectly or something like that, that yes yes exactly that one uh-huh. um because it, it is the truth right it's like if we're we are, if we are kind of left to our own, own devices um to lead our lives even whether we say that it is for god it's like it's, it's like we can't do it alone you know what i mean and i think that's sort of like one of the one of the greater traps that i also find myself is that I, like i try to do christianity on my own like i i do i do it on my own terms and like what i think is the best way but it's like the greatest moments of um i think revelation in my life has always come when it was dependent on what god was doing in my life and how my community and the people that have my best interests at heart have seen about me to help me grow or like foster my growth, you know? And I think that just kind of reinforces the idea that, you know, this is not a journey that we do by ourselves because, you know, ultimately we are going to fall short. Um, but that's, that's why, that's why we have these strategies put in place, right? This, that, that is why community is important. That is why taking, taking the reflection space and the assessment to know and to confirm that Jesus is leading your life. These systems are put in place to, um, help us grow as disciples. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. I think also the question that you asked before about, um, how can you, how can you, I guess, get back on track, right? Mm. Or how can you start? And when we talked about transferring of power, I think it's also asking the question um, for many, like, if Christ is not leading your life, who is, right? Who holds the power then? Mm. You know, and I think a lot of times we'll say, well, I do. Okay, well, let's say that you do. You hold the power, but are you really the one in control. Like I, I say that because I think a lot of times we're driven by all these. And, you know, Sam's talked about this many times about subplots of, you know, pleasing parents or find, you know, gaining the approval of the world or, you know, or sometimes it just comes down to gaining the approval of authority figures that may or may not even be there. Um, paternal figures may or may not be alive. And I think there are these value systems that people live by that contradict um, following the Lord. And I say contradict the Lord um, in, you know, in God's word, it says to obey your parents, um, to honor your parents. But also it talks about how to leave your parents leave the burial of your parents, like in, in that hyper, hyperbole, right? To leave the burial of your parents and follow me, right? So Jesus is always pointing back to, well, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Hmm. You know, make me first. You know, don't try to save your life, but lose your life in me and for the gospel and you will save it. But if you try to save your life for the sake of the world, then you will lose your life. So. Jesus is always, um, you know, bringing the tension of, you know, that friction and saying, 
okay, it's not that, you know, loving your parents and wanting to marry, make your parents happy is evil. But if that holds the power in your life and the goals of your life, and that goal is um, without you and I realizing the biggest um, hurdle to following my ways and my mission, and if it constantly conflicts, if that is what conflicts with me, and because of your, um, I don't know, or your vow or your volition or what is the word, your um, commitment to that comes against your commitment to me, then it clearly shows um, who's in power, right? Mm. That the transfer power has never been given over to the Lord, that the Lord's not the one leading. It's And also it becomes a religion of where Christ is utility. Christ, bless my life, lead my life to bless it so that I can live the life that um that I want to live to and dot 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 or fill in the blanks, right? These are things I think a lot of times we don't say out loud, but I think because um approval is such a big thing and success mm. is such a big big thing. Um it's embedded in our culture. It's embedded in our hearts you know, the things we live for. So mm. I think these are the things where the Lord wants to check. It's not so much the evil things. I think we're not really de dealing with evil things, but I think it's the place where these good things have. And in, and actually in reality, like I'll say this, but it becomes dark. It becomes evil. The good that is not God when lived for, um, in place of Christ actually becomes evil. And I say evil because it becomes idols to us and idols is what takes place of the true God. And I think if worship is really laying down of our lives to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, right? To not be conformed to the ways and the patterns of the world, to be transformed in our minds and renewed in our minds. Um, then Idols is, I think, the biggest thing that we don't often look at, but is what's taking up the space where God belongs, you know? Mm. So I think it's a good, it's a good time to examine who, who is really leading my life, you mm. know? What narrative is really leading my life? What pressures are leading my life that I can't, surrender to Christ's control and to Christ's plans um, for his kingdom, for his plans, his ways for my life, you know? Yeah. I think this is such an important point that you're, you're drawing for us because, you know, I think over, over the summer, we, we talked about competing commitments really. And this is sort of what, this is sort of like that, that competing narrative that has a clutch on our hearts that is, that's really hard to, um, I guess to really let go of, right? Because I think there are certain things that occupy our hearts and our minds and it, it, it ultimately distracts us, right? From, from what is like we've been saying over the summer, like what is of utmost importance. 
right? Like yeah. of, of the calling of God. And if I'm understanding what you're saying um, correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, it's this process of being able to relinquish those things that have a, a hold in our hearts, like these narratives yeah. and these like stories. Um, and mm-hmm. I think we aptly call them subplots because they take up that, that room. It's like the side story of like, uh, that competes with what God is doing. Um, yeah. like emptying ourselves of that so that we can make space for the, the, the true or like the overarching biblical narrative or like the gospel narrative that, that takes precedence in our lives when we accept Christ. Yeah, exactly. It's the good things that compete for the place of Christ, Mm. the overarching theme and the mission of Christ. And I think the sad part is when we miss out, I think we don't, we don't necessarily know what we're missing out on uh, because it's very subtle. And then suddenly I think we will, uh, it will begin to harm others. As Sam said, so it's a very slow process. So we think, I think a lot of times we think that we are in control and not relinquishing our, you know, or transfer uh, our transfer our control and power to the Lord. We think we're in control like, oh, okay, and we procrastinate a day or two or from jump from this conflict away to, I guess, comfort or you know, give me a break. Jesus understands. Come on, you know? Mm. And I think that when we miss out on transformation, I think we don't realize it until later. And I think that we'll hit by it later if, you know, yeah. And I think that's kind of, um, it's kind of like that C.S. Lewis quote, prosperity knits a man in knits a man to the world he feels that he is finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him so i think you know procrastination is like saying okay well i don't want to deal with this now i don't want to have this conversation now i don't want to have this conversation later just give me some time i remember one time actually not this happens quite a lot but um you know one time i think i you know, wanted to have a conversation that was a deep conversation with someone and someone, they said, okay, Pastor Lita, can you come back to me in like a few months? Because I think I wanted to talk to you about that in a few months. And then I said, few months? No. What do you mean few months? I, it, it was so silly, but I think we do that. Like, I, at least the person was honest, right? Mm, mm. But I think we do that. We say, I don't want to have this conversation now. I don't want to have this conversation later. Oh, no, actually that. And then, oh, I got to go. I got to go. You know, I think we do this, but we don't realize we're doing it sometimes, right? Because we become so good at, I guess, escaping yeah. um, discipline or escaping conflict or friction. But I think when you do that, you don't realize it, but it takes a hold of you as prosperity does. So this is not, uh, I'm not, this is not a message about prosperity, but I think prosperity is one of those things. But this is also who holds the power and the lopsidedness has a way of taking over without realizing it. And I think it becomes very evident a little too late, right? Mm. Yeah. 
I, when you, when you had mentioned that story, I think, um, one of the things that came to mind was that it seems like the conversation is, I think, like, I think one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that the conversation about Christ is always on the table, right? Um, but it's like up to the participants of the conversation to, you know, take, take up the gospel conversation, you know? Um, and it's like, you know, I think there are certain delays or certain ideas we have in mind about like when to have this conversation or like the circumstances by which, um, there, the confrontation of the gospel comes across in people's lives. Um, and I, I guess I wanted to ask you, I think there is a, another important component as far as I think so, like for people that are seeking Christ, that, that transition of power also, I think is a component that allows the non-believer to, um, be introduced to Christ and then make that decision and that choice to surrender their lives, right. And have that gospel conversation. Um, and I, I also wanted to gather your thoughts regarding that, because I think one of the things that kind of opposes people that are who people who people who are seeking Christ, um, mm -hmm. is that, is that tension that is drawn when it comes to surrendering, surrendering your Lordship, uh, to Jesus. Um, and I, I guess I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that because, um, one of the things that I think I come across is that we want to, there's like this feeling that I have to respect the individual's autonomy and choice to, um, live their lives for Christ or not. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I think what, what doesn't really, what the difficult conversation of surrendering your life is like never really had. Right. And so I guess I wanted to get your thoughts about what you think about, um, you know, making Christ Lord in your life as in the perspective of someone that is encountering Christ for the first time, you know? Mm. I think that, People who are coming from, you know, secular, non-churched um, background and seeking, um, or are who are who are resistant to the gospel, though seeking, right? I think have an understanding that really, it seems like a lot of unbelievers kind of know what they will be committing to. You know, and the longer even the seeking is, it seems like there's an understanding like, well, that's why I'm not a Christian yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, well, yeah, because I don't want to live according to Christ's plans. Yeah, I've gone through, well, I'm speaking in, like, I guess, as in the first person voice of people who are seekers, right? But like, you know, I've gone past whether God is alive and Christ is God's son. Um, and if Jesus is the way, the only way, yeah. I think a lot of people get past that and that's, that's great. But I think, um, the, la the latter part is really, do I really want to give up control? And I think people do. It's nothing we haven't gone through. 
mm. you know, we all once were non-following, re rebellious people. You know, explicitly ex rebellious people. Um, just some confessed, some unconfessed, right? So, I think it's nothing we haven't gone through, but I think that people come to terms with that and come to Christ. I mean, the question is, you can lead someone to Christ, but you can never make someone live for Christ, right? I mean, yeah. as a pastor in for 20 years, I cannot, it doesn't matter how kind or how many batch of cookies I'll send someone to follow Christ. There's nothing I could, I mean, there's much I could do to propel someone to follow Christ, to spur someone on, but I cannot ever make you or anyone follow Christ. That is a decision of self, you know, that happens, I think, in the decision of the um, individual. And I think that's what's, you know, powerful. Like there's not, like, I think Sam talked about that in the message, right? It's like, there's nothing we could do to make you follow Christ. I mean, these messages are here to bring exposure to what is going on where you might not be aware of why you can't, why you feel you can't, or you don't want to follow Christ, or where you think you're following Christ, where you're not following Christ. But it's really the decision of the individual. And I think it is the responsibility of the church to help the person to come to that, you know, whatever it takes. But yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think people battle that. That's like the latter part of the seeking. Do I want to give up control? Mm. And I think we've seen people give up that control and come to Christ. And, you know, the thing is, like, when people, and, like, I think you said this before, just because you say, God, come, you know, lead my life, it doesn't seem like it's, it doesn't always look so smooth. Some people fight every single thing. But what seems like a fight on the outside is just, wait, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, because people learn values of Christ and how deep it goes and how, how, um, who Christ is in a deeper way as a shepherd. Like, what does a shepherd do? He keeps his sheep nourished, right? Mm. To flourish. He keeps his sheep protected. So there's an ask, there are these aspects of, the shepherd, I think people experience when they come to Christ and, you know, I guess resign their power or transfer their power to Christ. But they're like, whoa, whoa, what? Like Christ cares about that too? Like he cares about me? What? He care He wants to protect me? I don't have to fend for myself. Like I don't have to. And I think the whole area of learning that you are the loved one and the beloved, I think is also Sometimes people are resistant to that, you know? So, mm. but sometimes the fight that looks so ugly on the outside is not so ugly, but it's just like, what? That's a surprise. Like, whoa. A lot of people react when people are surprised. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. So it's not all as it appears, but I think, um, and I honestly, as a pastor, that's what I, I love. I love people. You know, some people say, oh, my God, that person is so intimidating. People that, or, you know, Pastor Lee, I can't talk to them. Can you talk to them? And but it's just it's nothing different than when, you know, not to like diminish the experience. But, you know, when a child or an adult has to learn something new, there's an immunity to change that you have to overcome. And there's a surrender to the process that you have to kind of come into and it just, it looked, it could look like a fight, 
but it's not often just a tantrum that leads to nothing. So there is that aspect when people follow Christ. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're just, yeah. Cause it, it seems like from what I'm getting is that a lot of, a lot of our, it's like value dismantling so that you can yes. be, yeah, like you can adopt Christ values. It's, it's sort of like, it's, yes. it's, it's supposed to be a struggle, right? Like it's supposed to be. Yeah. Like, what do you mean that that's not the way God works? The world has always operated in this way, you know, like. Yeah, so it's like what you said before. It's like kind of devastating, but also dismantling uh, and unlearning, Mm. you know. So, yeah, it's a beautiful process, but it's not always like smooth and sweet. And but it's it's a real process. And I think Mm. God loves that, that people are wanting to follow him, even though it's hard, you know, even though it's new. You know, even mm. though it's surprising. And when people see him in all of that and see his heart and all of that, I think it's, it's a beautiful process. It's a painful process, but it's a beautiful process to watch and to be part of. Mm, that is true. I do agree that it is beautiful. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's definitely not easy, but, uh, it's, um, the fulfillment yeah. behind it, I think is just, is just, um, and like watching life change happen is, I think, is always, it's always a phenomenal thing. And I think like one of the things that I'm sort of getting from what you were describing is that, you know, I think there's like a real weight to the, the degree of life change when there's an awareness of who the father is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think what I'm trying to say is that I think when you were describing how like, it's, it's usually, it seems to be the case that non-believers or unbelievers are the ones that sort of have an idea of like what they'd be signing up for if they were to be a Christian. There's a, there's a level of gravity about that, the weight of that decision yeah. that sort of, sort of like, it's like you, if you know you, if you know you signed up for it, it would like radically change your life and you know that that's what you're agreeing to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like it, that is there's there's some there's some merit to that that I feel like I'm having a tough time really encapsulating because I think one of the things that I notice about myself or when I observe um the way that I uh am approaching my discipleship now is that I I I do think that I have like a very healthy fear of God. Um if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know like I mm-hmm, yeah. there's like yeah. there's like I'm a I like respect god and i i respect um just who he is and so like it like that always makes me feel like i I, like i I don't want to disappoint you know it's just like a personal feeling but like i don't want to disappoint and there's nothing wrong with that that's a good thing yeah 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 and i guess like the the comparison i'm trying to draw is that like it's sort of like it's not just like a self-awareness of ourselves and our sins that is the only factor to consider, but also like knowing God more intimately or knowing or, uh, or learning or hmm. it's about being aware of who God really is. Right. That's just sort of like these two things that we are considering in order for discipleship and faith to even sort of make sense, right? Because it's like, it doesn't really make sense to do, to have one without the other. 
right? And I think, I think there's something to that relationship that allows for that thing, that change, that, that, um, I don't know, that, that it's, I'm sorry, I have a tough time saying this, but there's definitely like a, like a quote unquote thing about Christianity and faith and God that is, that is really attractive to people. Mm -hmm. I think it's like undeniably attractive, whether you are a believer or a non-believer, right? That, um, sorry, I don't, I didn't know, I didn't really know where I was going with that. But anyways, I I guess I was trying to come, come across that. Yeah, words cannot express or fathom, right? No heart can really fathom how good God is. So I get your uh, stumbling of words here. <laughs> cool. Okay. Thank you. I, pre- I appreciate that <laughs> acknowledgement. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think uh, I think what I was I was um, trying to express is that. It's like we have to know who God is and we have to know who we are in order for there to be substantial, like, revelational life change for us people who claim that we want to change but seem to have a really tough time in doing, right? Right. Also, one of the things that was sort of left an imprint on my heart and my mind after listening to uh, this Sunday sermon was, you know, the gift and curse of community. And I, I really like the way that Dr. Sammy described that because mm-hmm. it definitely rings true the sentiment that, you know, community at times can be, can, can be and feel like such a blessing. But there are also mm-hmm. often times that I might feel like it's like, ah, oh, this is rough, you know, community can be sort of like a rough ride. And, you know, I was getting the impression that a lot of that has to do with how well we as believers and disciples and people that are just growing in general are able to receive truth and receive feedback at the end of the day, right? Because it's our community and the accountability we have along with community that helps us to identify those blind spots and those things that we aren't seeing, like Dr. Sammy was saying uh, regarding the pride sermon. Um, Mm. and that was, uh, this is the sort of the question that I had in mind is that, you know, I, I do value community highly, but, um, I guess like what, what are some of those areas that, you know, when we feel that community does feel like a curse at times, like what, what do you think? contributes to that is it is it our pride that doesn't allow us to want to receive the truth or is there is there more to it than just that you know i I was just wanted to unravel um how community has a role in our development and our spiritual growth yeah i think there's always a tendency to hide what you don't want revealed or seen, right? Mm. So I think in those times when you're trying to hide something, it feels like a curse. It's like, man, why is this strategy here to, you know, expose me? It's annoying. You know, that's when it feels like a curse, I guess. And, um, but it's great when you want to change and you want to deal with it. It's kind of like, when you feel, you know, this area is is good. I want to expose it. 
mm. you know. <laughs> so it's human tendencies, proclivities again. But mm. um, it doesn't negate neither of those situations, right? Or circumstances negate the fact that community is essential if we don't want to become delusional and lopsided. So it all it is all how you look at it, I guess. <laughs> mm. Right. And is it is it it comes with sort of the territory of willingness to expose yourself so that it, it for the sake of growth, right? Because I think one of the things that I found myself thinking about with uh you know, the conversation about community is that I I noticed that I have a tendency to be selective about my accountability also. Like what's information that i would present to people that i trust um and like it's like definitely very filtered right like people know what i decide or just or you know i decide to tell them which is just again uh an enactment of control in my life and like i guess not really allowing myself to really embrace community fully um and you know i think you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to try and, uh, you know, resolve sort of the, <laughs> the issues that come up with that in my life. But I was, I was wondering, you know, from there, how, like, what does it look like to really embrace community? You know, cause I think embracing community, uh, it doesn't sound hard, but it sounds scary in the sense that mm-hmm. you're, you're allowing permission for people to know you or be known or to know a lot of things about you that maybe you're ashamed of or embarrassed of. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was wondering like, what, what does it look like to embrace community or how can one um, be immersed in community? Yeah. Well, I think the practicality is that again, it's not one dimensional, the group that you, that is your accountability um, or accountability groups, it's where you confess for the sake of confessing because confession is a holy life, right? Mm. But it's not necessarily always the case that where you confess for the sake of confession is where you will also receive the best feedback, right? Um, so, or the feedback that you need. So I think also it's not just one side or one all I can't what is it one size fits all but it's recognizing that there is a need to expose but also I think we're really talking about the places where people it's apparent to people but it's not to you or I right so we need almost an intervention of community seeing the blind spots of ours or seeing the parts that you see are hurting us um, or the places in our, in our lives that have gone lopsided where we are delusional to the point where we don't even see how we're hurting others. And it's about community of people um, seeing those parts and seeing the cause of and the harm of those things and coming alongside of us and letting us know how those things are in effect or how it's affecting others, right? Or Mm. ourselves. So I think when we say community or when we say accountability, I think that there are accountability groups, but the feedback could come from a pastor. A feedback could come from an older brother um, in Christ. A feedback could come from a peer, 
But it really, how God does all of that is also very dynamic because his power, the way he works, um, is also dynamic in community, right? It's mm. Christ's power that's at work in the community to be able to experience Christ himself, right? As Ephesians 3 talks about. So the dynamic of how that works to our transformation, we don't always know. But we do know that there are strategies of accountability groups, right? Right. For exposure. And then there's strategies of having an openness to feedback in our blind spots. Um, and how God does that is not always one size fits all, you know, and God does it in different ways sometimes. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, because I think there's like the role that we play in, um, I guess, just knowing the value in exposure and in value in being uh, transparent. And mm -hmm. the I think a lot of the things that we talk about does consider an aspect of teachability. Like, are we able to be molded and formed based off of the truth and feedback that we receive from uh, our leaders, uh, from God and the people that we trust with that sort of information, right? Yeah. And I think the accountability aspect of it being a gift and feeling like a curse, like it feels like a curse because it's hard, but I think that what is the gift of accountability and like, community is that expressing weakness is actually very, not just healthy, but really really helpful to self like we feel like it's counterintuitive by admitting weakness or our failure or that we've stumbled you know to others and it hurts our pride but actually doing that it is a way of saying you know what there's no exception here i'm not an exception to the rule you know, and to say, I am struggling with this. Um, I stumbled in this and to admit weakness, um, has a way of really humbling us in a healthy sense, I think, in a community, because I think oftentimes, you know, it could easily become like, Oh, wow, that person is always good. And living up to that pressure is, uh, you know, oftentimes a common theme, I think, in a church community. Like, oh, that person must be good. I think we fall into these things all the time where we assume things about people, good or bad, you know? Mm. So I think being able to confess in a group um, and to expose weakness is really for the sake of self, you know, and to be reminded that we are all being saved. Right. Kind of takes us takes ourselves off the platform or off the pedestal and says, "I am being um, defined and saved by grace and truth here of Christ and Christ alone." You know, mm. and that and sort to of say, I'm, yeah. Oh, sorry. Please, you were saying. Oh no, I'm just going to say um, to the people you're confessing. It's a, it's symbolic and also literal in real time and saying, I need you. Like, I can't do this alone. Just like Paul needed the safeguard of Ananias to come into his life because he had a proclivity of overzealousness. Like he was known. He was like such a zealous person. He needed someone to slow him down, 
to help him do the work without hurting anyone with his zeal. Like he was one of those guys, like he just thought if he had an idea and if he goes for it, like that's good. It's going to all be good. You know, those people. Mm-hmm, yeah. And he was so jealous of Ananias. Literally, he had to become blind and he had to encounter Christ, surrender power, and community had to come right away to say, to for him to be able to say, you know what? I can't do this alone. Can you show me the way? Can you help me out here? Um, because he was so zealous. And I think Ananias was a safeguard for him, his community, beginning of his community too, so that over that there was an acceptance that over a long period of time that there would be a process of him becoming like Christ, you know, Hmm. that it was not going to be an overnight transformation. And I think community reminds us of that, that our transformation is not overnight. It's not over one vow, but it's over a process of walking it out through discipline, Hmm. through pain and the sadness and the reaping of harvest, and the pain and the sadness, and the reaping of harvest. Pain and the sadness, and the reaping of harvest. So. I see. I see. Um, <laughs> yeah, it definitely rings true. I mean, like, I feel like one of the major takeaways that I'm getting from this is that I, th- I think, you know, I, when it comes to thinking about leadership, I feel like Sometimes leadership and pride sort of can often look like it goes hand in hand as in like, you know, you, you, there's like the guy that calls the shots and that's what you might call a leader. Um, but it's like leadership doesn't look like what we think it looks like at all. Or like maybe it's like my preconceived notions of leadership often really get uh, shattered or dismantled by what's true leadership looks like and i think when there is a submission and obedience to god in our lives and allowing him to be the leader and even submitting and like allowing ourselves to be immersed in community like these are sort of things that are out of our control and in that lack of control of how we imagine our lives are going to go or how I might imagine my life to go is, is, is just sort of this idea that this life as a believer, this life as a Christian is not a solo process at all. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think there was, there's this idea that like, you know, discipline is sort of self-induced or, you know, when I go to the gym, that's like quote unquote discipline because, you know, I'm doing the the thing, you know, I'm going to work out, but, this is this is definitely like a team team process right or like a yeah a, a, yeah yeah a book cannot dis, uh disciple you a book could become a resource a resource or reference point um but you need community you and i both need community we all need community um you know, a great experience, a great sermon could give you the truth to help you along the path. But that sermon itself is also part of community. So I think, and people will have to come along. That's why small group is important to come and actually talk about it because it's a lot of oftentimes we hear a great message and we pat ourselves in the back for showing up for that and for feeling cathartic conviction 
There's cathartic conviction where you feel like, oh, my heart is, you know, is moldable. I do hear this word because I could tell I want this. Mm. And then there's real conviction lived out in process. And right. that part, it's so elusive, you know, action. It's so elusive that we need community to keep us in track, keep us on track. So, yeah, I think Christ's strategy is pretty good. He gives us the body of Christ to help one another and to say that I need you to one another mm. and uh, Christ as our head. So we need, you know, Christ is enough. We are the beloved of one and we are sufficient in Christ and that, you know, Christ is our shepherd and in him we have everything we need. But I think we separate Christ with people, with community of Christ. When actually Christ says, um, that he is the Lord, he is the head of the church, that he is the head, but it's the body that really encompasses who Christ is. So, I think a lot of times we try to separate what should never be separated, you know? That is Christ's strategy. And the Spirit works through the body of Christ to form us. And the body of Christ is made of limbs of people. And, you know, so I think we have to remember that transformation comes by Christ alone, and it's His design. That community, the body of Christ, is there for our need, and we are there for each other mm. to become more like Christ. So I think it's such a great reminder of that. Mm. Mm. That does kind of oh. yeah. I was just gonna say. Also, I think people have a preference of being discipleship too. They'll say, well, I'm more of an introvert, so I like to do church on my own and I like to listen to messages on my own. I like to listen to this podcast, but I don't like necessarily showing up to small group or have an accountability group where I actually have to talk to people. You yeah. know, there are preferences because some people are heavy, you know, like heavily an introvert, right? Or some people will say, you know, like, what I really need is small group. I think what I really need is small group and um, a community of people and to share and to talk about what's going on with me. And they kind of forget the commitment to the word of God or, you know, especially in pandemic times, like I don't want to listen to that. I can't really pay attention to that. But it's a discipline. It's a commitment of discipline to become like Christ. So mm -hmm. I think it's all in one and it's one and all, you know, so I think we have to embrace all parts so that we don't become selective in our formation because plenty are and will become selective, you know, right. if we choose preference. So I think it's important that even as you are listening to this podcast, that you find a community of people who share the value of Christ, who will call you out when you live short of it, you know, and that you can be a voice for others, a voice of life stream for others when um, they need you. So I think it's important that we embrace all of what Christ offers us and all of the values of Christ and, mm. you know, I think that's mm. so important to become disciples. All right. I couldn't agree more.
I think that's a sound strategy for covering all of our bases as believers and Christians because, you know, those are, those are things, those are elements that are set in place so that it contributes to our discipleship and contributes to our growth and followership after Christ at the end of the day, right? Yes, hmm. definitely. Um, well, I am out of questions <laughs> regarding these two sermons, but I'm sure with my discipleship process, I will arrive at some more. Um, but Pastor Lydia, do you have any, any final thoughts or, um, you know, anything on your heart that you wanted to express before we close? No, just that, um, I say no and just that, uh, no, <laughs> I'll just, I'm praying for you. And, um, this is, you know, don't be discouraged by all the things where you fall short. I mm -hmm. guess that's what I would say. You might feel like, oh, I'm not doing any of these things and I have all these issues. Um, don't be discouraged. But I think what you're experiencing when you recognize those things is the pain and the sadness that comes from the discipline of God. And you know, Hebrews talks about that, that God ne never disciplines those he don't, he doesn't, he don't love. No, he <laughs> always disciplines those he loves, those he considers his legitimate children. And it says that discipline, none of us, I mean, Joe kind of stumbled it on it and he corrected himself that he didn't mean that he suffered to the point that Christ has, you know, before the cross and bearing the cross. You know, scripture makes it clear that none of us have and will suffer to the point of shedding blood as Christ did for us. No one will suffer to the amount that Christ has um, and what he had to go through to become our salvation plan, right? But if you feel discouraged, and maybe I want to encourage you to take that discouragement and transfer and look at it in a different way as pain and sadness that you do need Christ, that you are being loved because your heart is being pierced, and broken by the truth of God that wants to save you. And so if you're feeling that way, or if you're feeling encouraged from the get-go, you know, keep at it and to seek community out. And if you're discouraged also to seek community out and be encouraged to know that actually God is speaking to you and I about becoming more like him. Because the world needs to know him and the world will get to know him um, through encounters of Christ supernaturally as Paul did. But like most likely not. Well, but they will get to know Christ through the disciples of Christ. So let's become like Christ by being formed by Christ. And lastly, being formed by Christ is really it's a it's not something we can do ourselves. We can surrender our power and transfer our power to God to lead us and to form us. But we can be renewed in our minds, in our effort and our commitment to be changed in our minds, you know, to be aligned and to think um, as you know, or the mind of Christ to, to think like Christ and the values of Christ. And I believe that he is doing that as you're tuning in, listening to the message and listening to our conversation. So 
Yes, I, I said I had nothing, but that's, I guess, <laughs> my word of encouragement. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Pastor Eddie. I hope, I mean, I definitely want to continue um, in that direction. You know, I, I think discipleship is certainly not easy and it has its ups and downs, but I think just just having um, the Father, having community, having people on the same team is, mm. um, I don't know, it's such a worthwhile thing. It's, I think it's such a beautiful thing that um, I've, I've truly been blessed and I, I, my hope has always been that others would be blessed by it as well. Um, and so, yeah, well, thank you again, Pastor Lydia, so much for this conversation. Um, and, you know, we'll do this again soon. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. And thank you all so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, and comment if you took something away from this podcast. And, and share. We'll, and share. And share. You're right. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll pick this up next time. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Holy Spirit, guide my vision. Oh
Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. God bless you. Until we see each other again. Shalom. Hi, my name is Hayoung. I'm currently a senior at NYU and I have been with 180 Fellowship for the past three years. The first year that I was in 180 Fellowship, I got involved with the Care Package event by helping out with doing the Facebook Live. I thought it was the least I can do in a part in, in the club that I am newly a part of. I just remember looking back after that adrenaline-filled evening and seeing that over 3,000 people had tuned in, probably more by now. And I was like, wow, there is an influence and there's a reach to this event. And if we can think of last year's event as one that goes beyond um, what is you know, the original event, which is giving it to my students. This year, the event actually gave further, gave to people who normally would not have been with, within our, our sphere of influence, our reach, in that we have delivered over 200 care package events to people in New York, out of New York, and out of, this, out of the entire country. That was a phenomenal feat that we were able to do. Myself, I'm in South Korea right now. I also, in getting involved, have been able to feel a part of 180, a part of New York, felt together with everyone that I worked with. Every week we had Zoom meetings talking about logistics, but to me that was more than just logistics. That was uh, a reminder that I am seen and I'm prayed over and um, I'm part of something bigger than just me. If this care package event is within your vicinity for you to give to, to participate in, to just pray over, then I 120% recommend for you to do one of the above, if not all, because it is an event that truly changes the lives. I want to thank people that I've worked with. I want to thank, with, I want to thank people that have given, have generously donated, people, um, our vendors, our sponsors, you guys are the best. And I want to thank, um, uh, uh, peeves for just uh, having this vision and just really leading us with grace and leading us with authority through that. Um, and I cannot wait to see the ways in which God will take this event and use it to further glory uh, his kingdom in the future. So thank you. And I hope that uh, um, you have uh, witnessed something beautiful because I certainly have. Bye-bye. Hi everyone, my name is Minyoung. I'm a member here at 180 Church and we're so glad that you were able to attend today's service with us. Um, there are a few community news that I'd like to share with you all. The first announcement is about our tithes and offering. We want to remind all of our members here at 180 Church to keep God in the center of your life, which includes your finances. You guys can do so through the online payment method shown on the screen. You can give through Venmo at Church 180, Zelle and Chase QuickPay at offering at 180church.tv, or if PayPal is your preferred method of giving, you can head over to our website at 180church.tv where there is a link to donate through PayPal. If you're a visitor joining us today, welcome. If you feel blessed by their service and you feel led to give, you can do so in the payment methods that I mentioned before. 
Our next announcement is about our prayer text hotline at 180 Church, which is available on text at 5397prayer and also via email at prayer at 180church.tv. This is a resource for everybody and especially during this difficult time where we need some prayer and support, there is a prayer team that's ready to help you and to pray for all the requests that you may have. Um, if your prayers have been answered, you can also share them on the text hotline and we can celebrate the good news together. Next up is about small groups at 180 Church. These are smaller pockets of our community that meet on a weekly basis where we can dive a little bit deeper into the word and share how the message from that Sunday uh, spoke to us. We have a few different groups that are all meeting virtually now. And if you're not currently connected with the group, you can reach out to Pastor Billy at the email shown on the screen and he can get you plugged in into a group for you. On the topic of community, we also have a number of different social media handles and channels where you can follow us, like us, and love us during the week. We have a Tumblr page at 180BRG where we post a chapter of the Bible a day so you can read through the Bible with us. We also have a Facebook page at 180 Church. Dr. Sammy, our head pastor here at 180 Church, has a Twitter handle at Dr. Sammy Kim. We also have a YouTube channel at 180 Church NYC, where I'm sure most of you guys are watching us right now. And we also have two different Instagram pages at 180 Church and also at 180BRG, where there are really encouraging posts and verses that get shared there. So I hope you guys will follow us there and be encouraged. We also have the 180 Church podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends, where you can tune into a conversation and a dialogue that goes into goes into the word a little bit deeper with Pastor Lydia and Joe Lu, who is a member of our community here. It's always a great time just listening to them um, converse about how the message has spoke to them and has impacted them, and you can see how it can do the same for you. We also have a virtual 180 Cafe on the Discord app where you guys can come hang out at any time in different groups on different channels and it's an easy way to stay connected with the community and also check in with one another. In addition to this, uh, we, have, we have a new addition which is our SoundCloud and it's a worship playlist of all the things that Pastor Lydia has played throughout this pandemic. So if you've been blessed by any song throughout this time, you'll see it there. Use it as a way to connect with God, to remember that God is with you, and to be blessed by Him and to bless others through this situation that's going on. And last but not least, if you'd like to learn more about our church and want to sign up for our weekly emails, you can come visit us at 180church.tv. That's it for all of our announcements. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you all next week. Bye!